Welcome into the starting 11, 99.1, the sports animal. Will West, Chris Carroll, top 11 points in the world of soccer. Every Friday night, 991dsportsanimal.com. You can always catch the podcast on Saturday mornings, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen, that's where we are. We have an incredibly special guest yet again this week, Chris Carroll, don't we? Oh, we do. It gives you great pleasure to introduce uh, introduce a great Roy Carroll. Roy, Roy's done it all. He, he's won the Premier League and FA Cup with Manchester United. He won three titles and two cups with Olympiacos in Greece. He, he made 45 international appearances for Northern Ireland. He's still playing the Northern Irish Premier League for Dungannon. And, and I'm really proud to say he's an ambassador for FC National our Club here in, in Knoxville. And he... Uh, he inspires our players. He's coming over to. He's going to be coming over to uh, to coach when the travel ban gets lifted. But he was he was on a Zoom call with them, inspiring them all um, the other day. So, thanks for your time, Roy. Really pre- uh, pleasure to have you on the show. And how are you doing? Yeah, thanks, Chris, for having me on, and thanks, Will, for having me on as well. It's uh, it's just a great honour to be on here, and uh, it's just things have been crazy at the moment with uh, uh, goalkeeping ways in Northern Ireland. Uh, just took a new role as the under-17s and under-19s goalkeeping coach in national football. So uh, I'm loving I'm loving every minute of it and just can't wait to get started. But uh, it's great to be on here uh, for the next half an hour or whatever and uh, talk about my career and talk about what I've been through in my life. Yeah, let, let's start with that, if you don't mind, with point number one. Tell us a little bit about your career. How did you get into soccer and how did you work your way up the ranks to get to being in the top flight of soccer for so long? Well, uh, I started off when I was a young lad. Uh, I turned uh, 14 and uh, I was in and out of goals uh, when I was a young lad. Uh, I wasn't the tallest, but I got the opportunity uh, playing for a local team uh, against men when I was 15 years old. Uh, went in goals, took it serious, very serious in the game. And uh, when I turned 16 years old, I got a, a, another opportunity for a new team uh, who was traveling around the country. And I had the opportunity to go and play with them at 16 years old against men. And I really loved it and uh, I was playing one day and uh, uh, I let five goals in. Uh, it wasn't funny at the time, but it was, uh, it was a good story to tell young play- young keepers and young players. I'd let five goals in. We lost the game 5-1 and a scout came up to me after the game and asked me to go for trials in England. And I just thought he was uh, was just having a laugh and he was being serious. And uh, that's what I'm trying to say to young players, just uh, your, your dedication and uh, uh, what you give in the game and the attitude in the game uh, never changes, no matter what the result's going to be at that age. And uh, I got that opportunity, and that's when my career started off as a professional footballer when I moved to England. And uh, quite a while ago, I think it was 1995. So in them days, it was very difficult for me to, to play as where we live, to get out of the country uh, and play in, in a high level in England, which was uh, I, I was a bit lucky at the time because I was in the right place at the right time. So you need a little bit of luck to get the, the opportunity to move across the water in England. Okay, let me ask you, just in, in that, as far as the, the what what has changed over the years and what you've seen from professional soccer for professional football in, in England and Northern Ireland and in Europe? I think I think the the soccer's changed a lot in this country because this, the the kids have more opportunity now to get noticed because with uh, with so many scouts coming all over the country now all over the world, uh, the, the the internet helps a lot as well because there's a lot of games being videoed as well. I think that's the main main thing. Uh, a lot of kids, no matter what what division you play in in Northern Ireland, there's always scouts watching. And uh, that's that's the, the big thing what young players have to understand. You don't know who's watching, so give everything you can in the game. 
uh, and uh, you see what happens from there. And I think that's the biggest thing, basically, because when I was growing up, it was just uh, you might be very, very lucky to get the opportunity once in a lifetime. And I got that opportunity once in a lifetime and uh, I didn't look back. Well, that's the truth. All right. Point point number two, if you don't mind, what what has changed in the world of goalkeeping from the big, your beginning of your career to where we see the goalkeeping position now? I think uh, the the big thing for goalkeepers now, uh, I've noticed in England, uh, when I first went to England, I never had a full-time goalkeeping coach until I moved to Manchester United. And that was in 2000. I, I moved to England in uh, 1995 and I never had full-time goalkeeping coach until it was 2001. Incredible. And uh, I think that was the, the main thing. What's good now in England, every league in England has a goalkeeping coach, which is brilliant for young keepers coming through the ranks because at a certain age, you have to learn the technique. It's a lot of, a lot of coaching. There's a lot of coaching, uh, the basic stuff as a goalkeeper, but then the keepers have to learn themselves. And that's the, I learned, I went back to front. If you understand, I was learning uh, by myself. I was watching keepers on TV. I was watching, uh, my goalkeeper, uh, goalkeeper number one at Hull City, and see what he was doing, and and I try and pick up habits from that. From that, but uh, this day and age, uh, uh, you have coaches, which you, it's good to have as well. Sometimes uh, to learn at a certain age about all techniques and stuff. So, has anything changed with what goalkeepers or goalkeepers are asked to do with so many more teams with the high press and things like that? I mean, teams aren't necessarily playing out from the back anymore, so it seems like goalkeepers are a little bit more on an island in this day and age. I think I think the main the modern day goalkeepers now. The, uh, uh, I spoke to quite a few goalkeeping coaches in England, and uh, we talk a lot about goalkeeping. And uh, the, the the main thing now is is probably seventy five percent or maybe 80% of uh, goalkeeping is all about uh, playing the ball with your feet. And uh, that's the thing. So you have, to, uh, you have to basically understand the game has moved on since I started playing football. Uh, uh, and uh, being a goalkeeper, uh, you have to be very good with both feet. But end of the day, as a goalkeeper, you have to keep the ball out of the back of the net as well. So you have to try and you have to try and juggle little things like that there as well. And uh, it's, it's difficult for goalkeepers. Uh, I don't think too many people understand what goalkeeping is all about unless you're a goalkeeper or you're a parent of a goalkeeper because uh, it's it's very, very uh, tough tough job to be in as a goalkeeper. Like if you make a mistake, it's a goal. But uh, modern day goalkeeping is all about being agile and being very, very good with the ball at your feet this day and age. Is there one moment in your career that stands out to you that you would say that's the moment that captures my career that I will always take with me? Oh, <laughs> Great question, Kimia. Um, I think uh, the the biggest one was probably the, the a game for Manchester United, Old Trafford. Uh, I took my eye off the ball and I never concentrated on the ball to come into my to my midriff and uh, uh, basically hit my chest, hit my hands, and went over my shoulder. And uh, I kept it out from going over the line. Close enough, nearly went over the line. But a lot of people said it went over the line. But Kimia, uh, for that situation, that stuck in my head. I, I will never forget that moment. Uh, it was just concentration uh, as a goalkeeper. You have to be focused no matter what hap- is happening on the pitch. And uh, that's the main thing I've, I've stuck in my head in, the, in my career as a goalkeeper. Never, never lose that concentration in the game. The great Roy Carroll joins us here on the starting 11. Will West, Chris Carroll here with you as well. Okay, Roy, uh, last thing in, in this segment, if you don't mind, and then we'll kind of get to other broader soccer, soccer topics coming up. Who are your favorite goalkeepers now? Like right now for the young people listening or the parents listening who have, may have a child that's a goalkeeper, who are the goalkeepers that catch your eye that, you're, that are your favorites to watch? 
Well, I've I've, uh, I've in the Premier League. I've watched a lot of football this season, and uh, I, I've I'm go for me personally. I've uh, Gasper Michael at uh, Leicester uh, is has been fantastic for Leicester for for many many years, not just this season, but uh, if you have a quality keeper like uh, Smeichel at Leicester, you're always going to be up there, top of the league, fighting for the fighting for the league. They won the Premiership so many years ago, uh, about three or four years ago, I think it was. And that was that was down not just down to the goalkeeper, but it's always good to have a goalkeeper. You see the likes of Liverpool. Liverpool was struggling, never won the Premier League for many many years. They bring a top class goalkeeper in, like uh, Allison comes in, comes in. Uh, they win the Premier League. Uh, I'm just hoping now people understand how important to have a goalkeeper, uh, a, a quality goalkeeper in the, in the team. And uh, I, I do really really like Addison at uh, Man City. It's just the way he plays. He's just so comfortable with the ball at his feet. He's so commanding in the area. So they're they're my top three keepers. Uh, I've I've watched this season, and uh, uh, all three of them are quality. Different different goalkeepers, completely different, all different uh, type of players. Um, but they all have something that I really like, and uh, it's great to see goalkeepers uh, like them three in the Premier League playing out week in and week out. That's Roy Carroll. Chris Carroll's here with us as well. We'll come back on the other side. Roy's going to join us for one more segment. You gentlemen are both in coaching, and there's if there's there are a lot of parents of, of soccer players that listen to the program every Friday night. I want to know the one thing that you guys would want parents and young players to understand about player development, if you could share that wisdom with them coming up. It's the starting 11, 99.1, the sports animal. Looking for children's soccer coaching outside of the club scene? Carroll Sports Academies has been coaching soccer for over 18 years. Their professional coaches keep it fun and build confidence while providing structured classes. Years of experience has helped shape their fun soccer curriculum, which prepares players for competition. Never played before? No problem. Beginners and experienced players are welcome. They truly believe children of any age should receive quality soccer coaching. Check out their website, carrollsportsacademies.com. It is the starting 11, 99.1, the sports animal. Will West, Chris Carroll, top 11 topics in the world of soccer every Friday night on 991dsportsanimal.com. You can, of course, always catch the podcast Saturday mornings on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you'd like to catch them. The great Roy Carroll joining us now. Whole City, Wigan, United, West Ham, Derby, Olympiacos, um, uh, Knotts County. You, you played about everywhere. You're still working with the Irish Premiership as well right now, Roy. I did want to ask you this because you're in the coaching world now as well, and both you and Chris are coaches. We have so many parents that send us things on social media that listen to the program. And Roy, if you don't care, we'll start with you on this. If there was one message or one thing that you wish that parents or or young players understood about player development, what would that one thing be? Be patient. It's 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 a big word for me. Be patient because young young players have to develop, and we we can't just do, you can't do it in one day or maybe one week. Just be very patient, and and uh, that's the main thing with parents. Uh, I've been trying to talk to a lot of parents in this part of the world, and uh, the the children be patient with the kids and let them enjoy the game as well. What about for you, Chris? You know, I've got the same thing. I've I use this phrase a lot. Uh, a youth soccer. A youth soccer career is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And, and, and absolutely be patient. Don't get too hung up 
and what the the under tens are winning, what trophies they're winning, what what your child won at the age of eleven and twelve. It it doesn't matter. The most important thing is what they're like when they're developed. As Roy says, be patient. Develop them when they're fifteen to, to when they're fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. That's when it's important. And and no. No coach at a pro club will ever say, what did he win when he was 10? Or what did she win when she was 10? It, it's not important. So, but, but, but people can get hung up on that. Parents can get hung up on that. Our parents are great at FC National because we talk to them. And I think it's about education. So, yeah, absolutely agree. Marathon, not a sprint. Take your time. Learn, learn properly. And um, be ready when you're in those, those mid to late teens. We're at point number five right now. The great Roy Carroll, Carroll joining us. Will West, Chris Carroll, the starting 11. All right, point number five. We'll start with you with this one, Chris. The Premier League expects to allow up to 10,000 fans and stands by the end of the season. Is that the right move? Now, we did see the report I saw on the BBC this morning. There is the, the possibility that because of competitive fair play that the Premier League does not allow the fans, but the British government will allow fans in at least, I think, May 17th is the date. Is it the right move to let fans in, in your opinion? Well, it's, this sums up to me how this has all been handled. We've gone, we, we went from none to a couple of thousand or a thousand or whatever. Now we went back to, to, to no fans. Now, now we're going to 10,000. It seems a big jump to go to 10,000 all of a sudden. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I can't see it happening, to be honest with you. And it coincides with the last day of the season. So, if it happens or not, I don't think it's going to be fair if that happens because, for example, you're going to have Fulham play. Um, Newcastle on the last day of the season. If all of a sudden you've got 10,000 fans in, in the Fulham Stadium, then obviously Fulham have got an advantage that no one else has had all season. So I can't see it happening. It seems a big jump to me, and I don't think it'd be fair if it did happen. Personally, for me, like if it's uh, coming so late at the end of the season, why do it? Uh, we've been, uh, I've been locked down for two and a half months over here, and it's difficult, and uh, we're trying to do things right. And uh, and they're going to come out and say 10,000 people can be in a stadium. Uh, for me personally, uh, as a as a professional footballer, we love to see we love to see supporters in the stadium. But uh, this season's uh, it's been a nightmare. So just let it finish off as it is, and then we look forward to the new year, uh, new season, and have the stadiums packed again in the new in the new season. Hopefully everything's well to do that. So personally, for me, I just think they should leave it as it is and finish the season off as it is. So I'm going to disagree with you guys a little bit on this, and this is completely from a from a, uh, a supporters or fans perspective. They they've not been able to see their team for so long, and, and that's why I would say I'd like to see that happen. Uh, it adds so much to the game. I completely agree with you, Chris. You're 100 percent right. It is absolutely unfair competitively to allow that to happen, and you would hate to see a team get relegated or promoted based on the fact that they have fans in the stadium that helps for a one single match. At the same time, the fans have been through so much over the last two seasons that this would be a really nice reward if they could show up to be able to support their team for one final match and then next year get back into what you have. I, I don't know how it is over there, but, it, but here in the U.S., whenever there's been great tragedy or whenever there's been a hardship, sports has kind of been the thing that's gotten fans and gotten the, the population through it from world wars to Jim Crow to uh, Vietnam war and, and, and civil unrest that happened in the sixties and seventies in the U S the one thing that people always had, and you know, so it, it, they could kind of gravitate to, to take their minds off of their problems. So it's, it's sport. And so for that reason, for the fans that are over there, I would love to see them have at least the opportunity to be able to, to support their team. 
Although I completely under, like, I completely do agree with you guys. It is absolutely unfair. And if it's unsafe, there's no reason for them to force 10,000 fans in just because they set that date early on. Point number six, and we'll start with you on this one, Roy, if you don't care. Is Bruno Fernandez right now the best player in the Premier League? And if not, who is the best, pre- best player? I'm, I'm going to be biased here. Of course he is. Uh, he's playing for Manchester United. And the thing is, like, he's <laughs> come in and he, he, he has bought something towards United, uh, Manchester United, in the last, uh, since he's been in at Manchester United. He's got, a, he's got the uh, drive to be a winner. And I think that's what has, uh, a lot of players that over the years at United have has missed. Uh, back in the days when you had Roy Keane, who was a winner, I think he's he's the type of player like Roy Keane. He always wants to win. He hates losing. He hates drawing. And I think he probably is one of the best. He probably is the best player at the moment uh, in in uh, the Premier League this season, uh, especially with the goals he scored as well and the way he's been playing and assists. He's given a lot of assists in the game in the game as well in the last year. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I mean, you've got to say he does seem to be the catalyst for the for Manchester United's revival. From I mean, from the from the day he from the day he stepped on the field for Man United, that they, they they turned a massive corner, and he just does seem to have this. Like Roy says, he's the he's the spark. He's the you know he's what generates. The, he's a winner basically, and he's a leader. And it looks like the rest of the players have have followed him. So in terms of having an impact having a biggest impact on your team. It, yeah, probably, well, it'd have to be Bruno Fernandes. I think there's a couple of, of other players in the, just down the road, just across, just across town that might push him for the best player in the Premier League. And sorry to bring up City Roy, but you've got Kevin De Bruyne uh, and Phil, Phil Foden. <laughs> who's he? Who are they? No, I'm only joking. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> yeah, they're two young lads that are coming through. I, I think uh, they might make it. But, um, but yeah, and then... You know, in terms of individual skill, he's not. Jack Grealish has carried Villa, so I'd, I'd, I'd have them as pushing him close. But I, I guess, yeah, you'd have to say Fernandez. I, I think would right now best player in the Premier League and um, certainly the biggest influence on his team. If, can I say? Can I can I say something? Uh, like you see him when he gets subbed. I've watched him a few times. The team's winning three 0 at Manchester United. Win three three 0 Ollie takes them off in the last three minutes. Or maybe last two minutes, and he's still angry. He wants to be on the pitch. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that from players. He just wants to be involved all the time, even if they're winning three 0 and they're coming off. He, he, he only has three minutes left on the pitch, but he still wants to be on the on the pitch and be involved. I love seeing that in players. Yeah, he's not happy, is he? No. Mm. For me, I'd love to give my incredibly biased opinion and say it's Harry Kane, but I will. Uh, <laughs> I will have to concede that it is Bruno Fernandez. There's something about. It. Fernandez seems to make everyone around him a little bit better. And I think especially for a young team like that, when they brought him in, you could see the difference in attitude, the difference in professionalism a little bit, the difference in the desire that the team had. And I think it's what you're speaking to, Roy, the fact that he is just angry about being taken off and he always wants to be out there. Not that Kane doesn't have desire, not that Kane doesn't have endeavor, but there, there are times that I, it's sometimes it's just Kane and Son and then everyone else on Tottenham is, well, stay in your defensive shape and we'll let Kane and Son do everything. It's not just the greatness of the individual player. It's that player's ability to elevate everyone around him that I think is what separates Bruno Fernandez right now from some, some of the other people that are in the league. I would agree with Chris that if, if I'm talking about over a, 
multi-year window, Kevin De Bruyne is going to be the guy that I'm pointing to. But for this season, for the way this season's gone, with the injuries that De Bruyne has had and things like that, I think Bruno Fernandez is that guy. I, before we get you out of here, Roy, if you don't care, I wanted to, to bring something up that you mentioned there in the last segment. When I asked you which goalkeepers that you admire the most right now, the first name you brought up was Casper Schmeichel of, um, of Leicester City. Whenever it's he's not a guy that a lot of fans seem to pay attention to, but whenever I speak to goalkeepers, even here in the U.S., that's the first guy that they bring up that they have a lot of respect for, they, or that they call the best goalkeeper in the Premier League right now. Why do you think he's a guy that doesn't maybe get as many headlines as um, some as Allison and some of the other guys that are out there? But he's the first guy that it seems like the goalkeepers consistently want to bring up. I just think it's just the way uh, the soccer is like all over the world. Uh, if you play for Liverpool or Man City, it's big clubs. It's like uh, De Gea at Manchester United was one of the best keepers in the world, but he's been going through a bad time. But for me, Schmeichel uh, has been doing it uh, at Leicester for a long, long time. And uh, as I said before, well, it was uh, it's, it's, it's probably a big name uh, on his dad, Peter Schmeichel. Is very, very, it's, it's the pressure on the, him to play under his dad like is a big name uh which he can ha he handle it so well he's done it so well for me I, I i've been shocked that none of the big teams has ever came in for him i am very very shocked that no no big teams have ever came in for him like manchester united or the likes of liverpool or uh, man city because he's got everything you've got everything he's commanding in the area he's very good with his uh, ball at his feet and he makes really really good saves not just not just uh, a save. He makes important saves if you, if you understand, because in a game you could have five saves and uh, you could let one in, but that one you let in is the one that's an important to make the save uh, if you understand as a goalkeeper. We, uh, as we always say, goalkeepers uh, understand other keepers and we see different things than other people on the pitch. That's the great Roy Carroll joining us here on the program today. Roy, thank you so much for your time. We really really appreciate it today. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me on. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, thanks, Roy. Cheers, mate. We'll come back with the rest of the starting 11. Coming up on the other side, what is wrong with Newcastle? We break it down next. It's the starting 11 on 99.1, the sports animal. Yeah, it's from National Underground, Thunder Pounds, and I stop the ground. Like a million elephants, a silverback, a rangatang, you can't stop a train. Who wants up? Don't come unprepared. I'll be there, but when I leave there, better be a household name. Starting 11, 99.1, the sports animal, Will West, Chris Carroll. Fantastic guests that you've lined up the last few weeks. Uh, Lori Dudfield, our buddy, Richard Shaw last week, and now Roy Carroll this week. Unbelievable job, Chris, lining up this uh, th this great list of guests that you've got in the last few weeks. Yeah, all great guys, and fantastic to hear their experiences and how how they all um, just how they all work so hard and 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 nothing, you know, that's what I take away from these guys. Nothing comes easy to them. They're, they're not naturals. They they had to work, or perhaps sometimes, like Roy said, he called it being in the right place at the right time. He was losing five one, and got an opportunity because of his because of his good attitude while he was losing five one. So when these guys talk to our kids uh, as uh, club ambassadors, like they do, our kids are getting a great messages and great examples and wisdom from from guys who've done it at the highest level yeah but, and, and and what's really nice is they're all fantastic guys as well you know so that's it's wonderful we're at point number seven right now all right chris i know this has been a little bit of the talk on sky sports what i've been watching in the mornings what is wrong with newcastle right now man newcastle it's funny they were going along okay weren't they a few weeks ago so mid-table and it looked like newcastle fans are never rarely happy you know even if they're mid-table they'd be glad of that now 
And then all of a sudden they get a few injuries and the wheels fall off and, and it's, and it's now they're in real danger. And it, I think that's it. Injuries and goals accompanied by lack of goals. So they lost a couple of defenders, Charles and, and, and Mankilo. And then they lost, of course, Callum Wilson, who was scoring, who was scoring, um, scoring for them. And he looked like the guy who was going to save their season really well. Now he's out until April. So I think that they're, uh, it's lack of goals. They've been upset with injuries. And now I know a, a lot of teams have had injuries. So, um, you know, you can't use that as an excuse, really. you just got to get on with it. But, um, hey, they got Wolves at home this weekend. So, you know, maybe they're going to have a revival. That's three points in the bag for them. And then uh, the, the couple of weeks after that, they've got West Brom, Villa, which is a tricky one, and then Brighton. So they've got, they got some winnable games there coming up. They've just got to take the, some chances. St. Maximan is just coming back after a couple of months out as well. He's been out. So uh, maybe, that, maybe they can rescue it. And um, I think they've got it in them to get out of trouble. Yeah, right now, Newcastle just three points ahead of Fulham, just barely out of relegation territory. I agree with you. The injuries are the biggest portion for me, and especially the injuries at the back. Um, they, they are 15th in goals, 15th in shots taken, if you look at the stats for, for Newcastle. They've only won two matches since December 13th, though. That is a while back if you look at it. They're, they're getting opportunities, which is the weird part. They just can't seem to finish it. So in mo- most matches, there are at least double-digit shot attempts that they have, but not a ton of them are, are on target. So that's not helping a whole lot for Newcastle to get those shots and then not be able to, to hit the target. Um, he, here's the stat that I thought was interesting. Fifth highest save total they've had, but they're fourth as far as uh, most goals allowed. So the issue is not goalkeeping, it seems to me. The issue is that back four that they have at Newcastle. Um, th- that's the issue, I think, with this Newcastle team. And you mentioned it. The injuries that they have there probably are playing some portion of, of that. They're not a team that's going to attack. They're not a team that's going to press you high. They're not a team that's going to try to use their pace and athleticism to beat people. So they're going to have to play with counterattacking football. But if you're conceding goals at this rate, or if you're conceding shots, at least at the rate that they're conceding shots right now, I think that it's going to be very, very hard for them to do that because again, the, the goalkeeping has been fine. The goalkeeping's again, top five of the premier league, but man, they're just giving up so many shots right now, Chris, there's only so much a keeper can do. Yeah, Dolo's been doing well in goal for them, and but like you say, it's the it's the defenders. They've been um, with their injuries. The defense, a settled defense, is amazing. The more you can keep your defense settled throughout the season, it just gives you confidence and it allows your midfield to get forward and and, and obviously your forwards to get forward. Um, you know, knowing that you've got that solid solid defense, who've got used to each other playing with each other, they know how what each other's going to do, and and they're a bit all over the place now at the back. And it's a shame because they got Shelby Almer on there. They're, they're well set up to get forward. Um, like I said, St. Maximan. So they've still got the personnel. They've still got the players to uh, on the attacking side. But yeah, they're, they're struggling. They're just struggling at the back and um, it's not looking good. Are, are you buying? Because we've seen a lot of the talk sport pundits as well make the, uh, make the, the prediction that Newcastle is going to be relegated and that Fulham is not. Are you buying that? Well, you'd have to buy it. If, if on the form at the moment, like you say, Newcastle, what they got, what they won, uh, two games in. 10, eight defeats in 10 games. So they're not in great form and, and Fulham are putting a little run together. They've, uh, I think they've done okay in the last four games. Couple of wins, couple of draws. So if it keeps going that way, yeah, all of a sudden that big gap has disappeared just to three points. So yeah, it's it, it could happen. Absolutely could happen, yeah. So Simon Jordan said today on Talk Sport that maybe it was yesterday, that 
Newcastle fans should not expect much more than this. That's that's a pretty big club. Do you do you agree with that? I mean, are they a team that just they're not going to be able to spend with some of the big boys? They're not going to be able to get themselves in the mid table. That they should just expect to be back half the table and maybe uh, flirting with relegation territory just because of where they are right now as far as in the pecking order. No, I think they can expect better than this. I, I, Newcastle historically, just so, just so everyone knows, his, Newcastle is a massive football soccer city absolutely massive and and in the history of the game they're huge you know with some with some fantastic players historically but you know history a lot of a lot of that could be said for a lot of clubs who aren't even in the premier league now it can change so they'll always be able to fill out a 50 60 70 thousand seater stadium newcastle wills the, the the fan base is there it's it's strange that and it goes back to the owner the fans aren't happy. He's put millions and millions into this club, but they've not been able to get on a roll and get some consistency. And so you'd, you'd look at them really as a, as a mid-table club. Now, there's a lot of mid-table clubs in that Premier League and they can't all be mid-table. And some of them are going to have to be down the bottom and get relegated. And so they're in a group of probably 10 clubs that, that you'd look at really that if you're not mid-table, you're going to be in trouble. And if you don't get on a roll and you have a bad season, then it could be your year for the, for relegation. So uh, obviously the fans don't like that. Um, but but it's just the, just where they are at the moment. But potentially Newcastle Newcastle could be a in a in a much better situation. Yeah, in a much better place. Point number eight, Chris. Can West Ham continue this hot run of form? Wow. Each week you're thinking, will they, and they keep going, they keep doing it, don't they? Will they, will they blow up this week and they, they keep doing it? I think they can. And I think they can because no one else is putting a huge run together. They seem to be really stable. Um, they, had a, they had a good win last week. Sorry, uh, Will against Spurs, didn't they? They beat Spurs 2-1. They're consistent. They seem to have, you hear the players interviewed, Declan Rice's, and 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 uh, Lingards, and they're playing with smiles on their faces. It sounds like the dressing room is really together. The chemistry of the players sounds fantastic. And if you've got that, that's your that's your twelfth man. Especially when you haven't got a crowd. You know, we'll say the crowd's twelfth man. But if you've got that team spirit, that's your that's your twelfth man. When you go out there enjoying yourself, expecting to win, then the confidence is there, and you're gonna you're gonna keep going. Obviously, the manager's doing a good good job. Everything seems to be everything seems to be happy. Everyone's going well now. This week they got Man City, so that'll be an interesting test. But yeah, I, I think they can. And uh, you know, a few years ago we said the same thing about Leicester City, and they kept going. Uh, now I'm not saying West Ham are going to win the league; they're not. But um, can they keep going at be around that fourth, fifth, sixth spot? Yeah, I believe they can. Yeah, okay, they can. I, I would I, I would bet that they don't though. And nothing against them; it's just a matter of. Um, Here's what I like about West Ham. They're beating bad and mid-table teams, and they're consistently beating the bad and mid-table teams. And in a year when no one else is doing that, I think that that says a lot for them, and they can keep them in that conversation throughout the year. Now, seven of their next eight opponents are in the top 12, though. They have none of the top 14 scorers. If you look at the advanced analytics, I was looking at that this morning. Their expected goal differential is actually behind Brighton's. It's a it's in the bottom five in the Premier League right now. But they're overperforming that because they are consistent because of what you said, right? It seems like the chemistry is just incredible inside that dressing room, and they're playing very, very well. I, I don't know that they're going to get in the top four this year, 
but I could see them, you know, seventh, sixth, somewhere in that neighborhood. And then there's talk mm-hmm. that maybe they sell on Declan Rice next in this summer and then try to pick up a guy like, um, um, uh, why, why can I remember his name? The the goalkeeper for um, Henderson from Man United right now, who's not doesn't have a chance to play. That that yep. may be right now the most likely landing spot for for Hender Dean Henderson. So if, if you could make a move like that, goodness, that would that would really help them out a lot. And so I I think what we're seeing right now, and I've seen a couple of pundits say this, Chris, and tell me if you agree or disagree. We no longer have a top six. We kind of have a top eight in the Premier League right now because of the way that Everton's being rebuilt. New stadium coming for Everton as well. And then West Ham, what they're doing to me is maybe not setting themselves up for a run in the Champions League this year, but they're setting themselves up for an opportunity to compete for a Champions League spot for the next three to four years. Yeah, I do. I agree. I think that top six, are probably not in finances. And that is what perhaps will always keep the top six, the top six, the finances. But but you, your West Ham's and Everton's, they're, they're performing with this top six to make it a top eight, despite not having the money. And, and that's a sign of great coaching, isn't it? If you can, if, if you're not got spending millions and millions, I know they're all worth millions now, but the real top end stuff, but your players that are costing you 20, 30 million instead of 70 million or 100 million, if you can make a team out of them to compete, which is what, which is what West Ham are doing and which is what Everton are doing, then, and why not? You know, you, sh- you, sh- you should, or a coach should be able to do that. Um, it's just getting that chemistry right, I believe, and man management plays such a massive part in it. So, yeah, that top six, because of good coaching, is becoming a top eight, top nine, and, and long may it continue as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think it's great. I think the more, the more obviously, the more in there, the better. Um, you know, Leeds... Leads in the middle. There's a few teams that have been around there and dropped away, and that's a sign of lack of money and the depth of squad that you can't stay there, you know. And that's usually what that's usually what causes these these teams without the money to drop away. Um, they haven't got the benches that the that the top six have got. So, but yeah, it has. I believe in terms of performances on the field, it has become a top eight now. Boy number nine, Chris, our target man. One player you're targeting to have a big match week this weekend. Ah, well, here we go. Here's the kiss of death. Whose turn is it this, this week to have a bad game? So I'm target man. I'm staying with West Ham. And I'm going with uh, Jesse Lingard. Uh, he's brought such a lot in such a short space of time to West Ham and really, really influenced them. And they, they all speak well of him. He seems to be such a good character as well as being a great player, which he, he's got his form back. He seems to be a great character and it's rubbed off on the rest of the team. And 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 like I said, it just makes such a difference having that chemistry. So it's a big game they got um, against Manchester City, but I'm uh, I'm, I'm looking to him. He's, uh, he's he won't be concerned about playing Man City. Having come from Man United, he'll be looking forward to this game, and so I've got him as having a, a big one. Yeah, apologies, Chris, because this might be the kiss of death for your team. Uh, but there's part of me that wants to take Ruben Neves because he's <laughs> the one that takes the penalties for Wolves. And Newcastle is a team that likes to grab a little bit once they they keep getting beat, frankly, and then they start grabbing a little bit of contact inside of the box. And so you see penalties happen and it makes me think Ruben Neves on a penalty could get it done for Wolves. Um, My my concern with that and what made me change my mind, because I've thought that all week, which made me change my mind is all of the pundits going after officials for the way that the, the Rashford penalty was called when the penalty wasn't called the other way on the other side. And so it makes me think that, uh, maybe the referees won't be as quick to 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 blow a whistle if uh, Newcastle is a little bit uh, 
a little physical in the box because they don't want to get blasted for what happened last week and um and, and it would become a big story again so give me Treori. he's been close he had the own goal that was actually really him scoring a goal but it bounces off the keeper's back um and it ends up becoming an own goal off of the off of the woodwork I think Traore breaks through. I guess technically he's at 13 matches without a goal. This is the one Traore breaks through. One of the reasons why I'm kind of stuck on that Wolves-Newcastle match is it seems Wolves are more aggressive the last few matches. And Newcastle's expected to make a goalkeeping change. The goalkeeping is not the problem with Newcastle. We've talked about that. The goalkeeping are, are the defensive players that they have and the injuries they have in that defense. And so if you, you're going to take out a guy who's top five and saves in the Premier League, out of goal because of issues that the rest of your defense is having that has nothing to do with the goalkeeper. It makes me think this could be a two, two, nothing, three, one wolves win, something like that. Yeah. I think it'd be harsh if they did uh, change the goalkeeper at Newcastle. Cause he's been, I thought he's been doing, he's been doing pretty well. And, and yeah, it's, it's strange how a team can just all of a sudden we keep, we keep saying it, they can be doing well and, and, and fade away or be doing not well. And all of a sudden turn a bit of a corner and wolves seem to have done that the last couple of games they've gone, They've gone more attacking, way more positive. Um, Traore, yeah, hit that thunderbolt shot that came off the came off the bar, hit the goalkeeper, and went in. So he didn't get any credit for it. But yeah, it was. I mean, it was his goal, really, wasn't it? And they're playing with they're playing with confidence again, all of a sudden. So I hope you're right. Of course, I would never I would never choose one of them now because it would be the kiss of death. So I'll just say I hope you're right and um, hope Wolves get that to, or Traore. Or Neves, I'll take either of them. Uh, scores, <laughs> scores <a goal. laughs> That's Chris Carroll live, Will West. We'll come back with the final segment of the starting 11. Christian Pulisic possibly on the way out at Chelsea this summer. We'll give you that story next. It's a starting 11 on 99.1, the sports animal. Oh. Looking for children's soccer coaching outside of the club scene? Carroll Sports Academies has been coaching soccer for over 18 years. Their professional coaches keep it fun and build confidence while providing structured classes. Years of experience has helped shape their fun soccer curriculum, which prepares players for competition. Never played before? No problem. Beginners and experienced players are welcome. They truly believe children of any age should receive quality soccer coaching. Check out their website, carolsportsacademies.com. Final segment of the starting 11, 99.1, the sports animal. Will West, Chris Carroll, top 11 topics in the world of soccer every Friday night. We're at point number 10 right now, Chris. A little bit of a local flavor to it here in the U.S. Bayern has reportedly reached out to Chelsea about a return to Bundesliga for Christian Pulisic. Is it time for a parting of ways between the American star and Thomas Tuchel's team? I think it'd be a real shame if it did. And selfishly, because I like watching Pulisic, I think he's a great player. He's one of those players when he gets the ball on the edge of the box, something's going to happen, you know, or he's going to—he's at least going to try and make something happen. You know, he's not—he's not what you call a safe player where he's going to pass it just sideways or backwards for the sake of it. He always looks forward first. So it's—he's great to watch. And selfishly, I like to—I'd like to see him stay in the in the Premier League. I think what he's got, to, got going against him at the moment, I don't think he's fit. And I don't think he can stay, stay fit just to continually stay in Tuchel's plans. And he might have, Tuchel might have that in the back of his mind, you know, will he ever stay fit? So in a way, it'll be a bad thing. But in another way, it could be the best thing for policy. It could be the best thing for his career. It, it might seem as a bad thing at the time, but this could be the best thing to happen to him, to go to the 
to go to Germany and play, where it's not quite, I mean, it's still physical, but it's not, Premier League is, is known to be the most physical league in the world. Um, and, and, you know, a step down for his body, you know, he's just not coping perhaps in the Premier League physically. I think skill level, obviously he is, but physically it might help him just to go to Germany, play there, get his confidence back, get a run in games, have a, get a good run of fitness going, injury free. And of course, that obviously helps the US national team as well, even though it'd be great to have a, a US player, a, a sort of poster boy, if you like, pinup boy in the, in the Premier League. It might be the best thing for him to revive his career and get himself going again by going to Germany. Yeah, he's played in 15 matches this year. And of course, he's dealt with injuries. The last three matches, two matches he's not in the squad and it's a healthy scratch. Another one, he was on the bench. Um, that I do wonder how healthy he is. And that was one of the things Lampard. Lampard seemed to be a lot more forthcoming when it came to injuries, more so than Thomas Tuchel is. Uh, so we don't know how healthy Christian Pulisic is right now. But I do question, he's slight. So I do wonder if Christian Pulisic is a guy that is, is he going to struggle to stay healthy for, for portions of his career? And it seems like he's in one of those portions right now. What, what Tuchel's doing though right now is, is running a three, four, two, one, and they're using wingbacks more so to try to, so it seems like Chilwell's odd man out and Pulisic are odd man out on that left side. And instead it's Marco Antonio that's kind of playing the wingback position and getting forward and dropping back and having to do a lot of running. It just, uh, I don't know. He's got three guys up front, and he's trying to use four players in the, those threes, right? And eventually Kai Havertz is going to be in that conversation as well when he gets uh, healthy. So that's going to end up being five players for three positions because right now it's Mason Mount, yeah. it's, it's, it's Timo Werner, it's um, Tam Tammy Abraham and Giroud. So in looking at that, I can't help. I, I just don't know where Pulisic fits in with those plans. When it was Lampard, you could tell they had the left wing and they had no one that they trusted. They wouldn't even work the ball over to that side. But it seems like with them using wingbacks and trying to use the three guys up front and attack through the middle, I just don't know necessarily where the spot is for Christian Pulisic to be able to fit. And maybe it is time for him to go somewhere else. And if you're going somewhere else, Bayern's about as good of a place as you can go, right? And the Bundesliga being a little less physical is about as good of a place as you can possibly go. Absolutely. I mean, it's not a bad club to have to step down to, is it? You know, they're doing okay. And they've got some decent players there as well that he'd be playing with. And you're right, Chelsea, they just do have an abundance of attacking options. I mean, you've got Hudson-Odoi in there as well. And, uh, you know, he's he's made the headlines this, this week for the wrong reasons too, although he's getting subbed. He got on as a sub and then was subbed himself. Although... He played the, the, the game after that and had a good game. So um, it doesn't seem to have affected him. But yeah, it's, it, it's whether he's fit or not, he's going to struggle getting a run of games. If it, so if he's fit, he goes to Bayern, has a great run of games. The game suits him better. He gets his, gets his form. He plays there for a year or two, then, then goes back to the Premier League. Then, um, you know, all well and good. And it'll be the best thing that happened to him. So it's hard to tell, but it could be, it could be a really good move for him. Point number 11, our final point, Chris, match of the week, upset pick of the week. A match of the week, I, I think City have got the, it's Man City and West Ham, and I think City have got the league sewn up, but that's no great prediction. But I think it, this tells us, this will show us how ready are West Ham to challenge for that top four. Uh, how, how hard can they push City and compete with them? Will they go for them? Will they, well, will they sit back? And I think, I think West Ham, I think West Ham will, try and fight fire with fire, you know, I think they're confident and they've got nothing to lose quite honestly. So I think 
it'll be good to see them have a go at Manchester City. There's some good games this week, but that's my match of the week. My upset of the week towards is down the bottom, down the bottom of the, of the league. And I got Fulham. Two wins, two draws in the last four games. They're away at Crystal Palace. Now, Palace were poor against Brighton the other day, but they, they somehow they had two shots all game and, and won 2 1. I think Brighton had something like 22 shots and, and, and lost 2 1. So they, uh, Palace flew to win, didn't play very well. Fulham are playing well. They're playing some decent stuff now. They're getting more confident. They're just three points. They can see, they can, they can smell Newcastle now. So I think Fulham will go for it and, and beat Crystal Palace away. We had the same upset of the week because I, I agree with you. And right now, Fulham's about plus 175 to plus 125 for Crystal Palace. So it's not a huge upset that we're picking, but I agree with you. I think that Fulham's going to win that match. And so uh, I think that Fulham would be the pick that I would have against Palace as well. I, you know, I, I thought maybe you would go Chelsea against United because that's two massive clubs with um, top four uh, implications involved in that match. But I agree with you. I, I do think you, West Ham playing the way that they have lately and then seeing them have to go up against, okay, let, not just one of those top teams, but the top team right now in the game and a team that's won the most matches in the history of English soccer uh, consecutively. So what, what are they at 18 right now is what City's at. So let's see if this upstart West Ham team can knock off City from that perch and in that streak. That's the one that I'm the most interested in listening and watching as well. Chris Carroll, fantastic job. Again, you Chris Carroll, FC National and Carroll Sports Academies. How can people reach out to you if they want to get a hold of you? They can get us uh, fcnational.org on the website there or um, Carroll Sports Academies, uh, info at carrollsportsacademies.com. All right, that's Chris Carroll. I'm Will West. Remember, podcast will be ready tomorrow morning. It's the starting 11, 99.1, the sports animal.